Hello, and welcome into the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. On today's episode, it's the third book in the Wraith Squadron arc, Solo Command, by Aaron Alston, book number seven in the X-Wing series. Han Solo's task force continues hunting Warlord Zinj through the Outer Rim, with the Wraiths as his secret weapon. Can the Wraiths stop Zinj before the Warlord destabilizes the fledgling New Republic government? and pits the citizens against each other? We'll find out shortly. But first, it's listener question time. Today's email comes from listener Rory from Scotland. Rory says, I stumbled upon your podcast one day and craving more Star Wars content shortly after the Book of Boba Fett finished up, and I've been hooked ever since. I've never really been one for reading, and to be honest, I don't think I will anytime soon, but your summaries and analyses of the Legends novels get me the fix I need. I also love learning new things about Star Wars in general. After binging a few episodes of the podcast, I recommended it to my friends, Liam and Allie, and they're also hooked. The question I had for you is, who is your favorite Jedi and why? Thanks for the amazing content. Keep it up. Well, thank you for the email, Rory, and thank you so much for the kind words. I'm glad you, Liam, and Allie are enjoying the podcast. I know reading as a hobby isn't for everyone, but I would be remiss if I didn't encourage you to give some of these books a try. I'm only giving you a very brief summary and analysis of each one. If you like listening to your Star Wars content, maybe try an audiobook. If you or your friends would like a suggestion, just shoot me an email. But enough of my preaching, let's get on to your question. My favorite Jedi is Luke Skywalker. Now, I know that's not niche or sexy or anything, but I've always been a Luke fan. There's no more powerful moment for me in the entire Star Wars saga, Legends or Canon, than when Luke refuses Palpatine's order to become his apprentice and kill Darth Vader. When I was a little kid, I was confused as to why Luke threw away his lightsaber in that moment, It took me a long time to understand that Luke knew he couldn't be the one to stop the Emperor. He wasn't there to kill someone. Luke wasn't there to destroy the Sith. He was there to save his father's soul. And Luke knew the only way to do that was to break the Chosen One free from Palpatine's grip. Anakin had to be the one to stop the Emperor. And Luke was the only one that understood that. Return of the Jedi isn't my favorite Star Wars film, but for me, that scene is the most powerful one in the entire saga. As much as I like the Legends line of books, one of the things I wish they would have done better is show Luke and the other Jedi use the Force more in the way that I believe George Lucas intended it to be used. Sometimes it feels to me that the Force is a video game power-up particularly in the Legends books published in the 90s and early 2000s. I think it got better in the later Legends novels. I think the way the Force is portrayed in the Kenobi novel was very well done, probably the best in Legends. But regardless of my opinion, Luke is still my favorite Jedi throughout the Star Wars saga, Legends or canon, and he probably always will be. Thank you again for your email, Rory. I hope you and your friends continue to enjoy the podcast. And if you want to be like Rory and have a question read on the show, you can send me an email at swlegendslounge at gmail.com 
or send me a tweet at Legends Lounge One. Or you can record yourself and email me an audio file. Just please use MP3 or MP4 audio format. And speaking of audio clips, I've got something special for you guys at the end of today's episode. So stick around for that. Now it's time to get into today's book, X-Wing Solo Command by Aaron Alston. Grab yourself a drink. Let's head in to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. The story begins on Home One. Lieutenant Jart Ian returns from leave and reports for duty. Ian is a Twi'lek, and unbeknownst to him, he's been turned into a sleeper agent by Warlord Zinj. Ian opens a hollow message in his quarters, and a woman's voice says, The Wookiees are dancing in the parlor again. The phrase that turns Ion on. His mission? to head to Admiral Akbar's office and assassinate him. Luckily for Akbar, he's meeting with Piggy Sabinring when Ion arrives. The Twi'lek shoots Piggy and advances on Akbar, but despite the wound, Piggy is able to lift the Admiral's desk and use it to ram into the would-be assassin, crushing him against the office wall, foiling the attack. Ray Squadron is assigned to Han Solo's task force, alongside Rogue Squadron, Polearm, and Nova Squadrons. The task force chases Warlord Zinj to the Levion system, but the Warlord changes tactics and attacks with a much larger force than usual. Han is forced to cut and run, retreating to an empty area of space, a few light years from the engagement. In the officer's lounge later, several members of the fighter squadrons debate what happened. LSR Targan stuns the group by accusing Solo of running scared. Most of the pilots take offense to Elisar's comment, but one of the rogues, Eniri Forge, quiets the group by offering a plan. The task force needs to change its approach. Instead of following Zinj around the outer rim, she says they need to entice Zinj to come to them. And what will they use as bait? Easy, Eniri says. They offer up General Solo. Kel Tainer says that a few months ago, Solo did leave the task force for a few days, flying the Millennium Falcon to the Wraith's Hawkbat base. That's right, says Aniri. We show Solo moving around the outer rim, maybe show the Falcon landing on a few planets. If we make it enticing enough, the Warlord won't be able to resist. I like it, says a voice from the back of the lounge. Han Solo's voice. He tells the fighter pilots, make it happen. It's time to go fishing. The task force is able to find another Corellian YT-1300 freighter and mock it up to look nearly identical to the Millennium Falcon. Han, Wedge, and Tycho Selchu come up with a two-prong attack plan for dealing with Zinj. Step one involves Wedge, Chewbacca, and the Wraith's quartermaster, droid Squeaky, to fly the freighter, dubbed the Millennium Falsehood, to land on different planets in the Outer Rim that are either in Zinj territory or under the control of the Imperial Remnant, but that have a known underground of New Republic personnel. Once the planetary defenses respond, the Falsehood and its X-Wing escort will take off and flee. Han bets that if they're seen on enough planets in Zinj space, the Warlord will need to respond. 
Step two of the plan involves the Wraiths going to the planet Cephalor. When they were undercover as the Hawkbats, the Wraiths learned that Zinge was doing some kind of experiments on Cephalor involving non-human species. Could those experiments have something to do with the attack on Admiral Akbar recently? While Han, Wedge, and Tycho decide which planets the Millennium Falsehood will hit, Face Loran is given brevet command of Wraith Squadron. The Wraiths head off to Cephalor, disguising their intrusion during a meteor shower. The Wraiths steal a land speeder and infiltrate the Binring biomedical facility disguised as Imperials. Once inside, Face and Kel discover Zinj is using the facility to experiment on non-human species, like Gamorians or Ewoks, to enhance their intelligence. It's the facility where Piggy was born and raised. The Wraiths capture Dr. Ida Gast, the current head of the project, and escape, though not without suffering some serious injuries. Gast tells the Wraiths that Zinj moved his experiments, dubbed Project Minefield, to Iron Fist. The project involves brainwashing members of non-human species to unknowingly assassinate New Republic leaders or sabotage facilities. The project will also sow distrust between the human and non-humans in the New Republic population. In fact, a second assassination attempt takes place shortly after the Wraith's attack on Cephalor. Mon Mothma is attacked on Coruscant. One of her government aides, a Gotal, attacks the counselor with a vibroblade. The Gotal lunges at Mon Mothma, but she's pushed out of the way by her assistant, a man named Malin, who takes the vibroblade square in the chest. The Gotal pursues Mon Mothma out of her office and into a nearby stairwell. Just as he raises his blade to strike, Malin grabs a hold of him and the two tumble over the railing, falling to a landing several floors below. Now back on Mon Ramonda, one of the rogues, a Twi'lek named Taldira, is approached by one of the cafeteria workers. The man says, Wedge Antilles hops on one transparasteel leg. The phrase rocks Taldira back to his heels. Wait until you're in your X-Wing, the man whispers. As Taldira heads off to the hangar bay, the man turns to find another Twi'lek, Flight Officer Tualan of the A-Wing Polearm Squadron. Han Solo's task force drops out of space in the Jusafat system and launches fighters. Immediately, Taldira and Tualan break formation and head off on their missions. Taldira to kill Wedge Antilles, and Tualan to shoot out the bridge of Mon Ramonda, killing Han Solo. Immediately, the squadrons realize something is wrong. The rogues try to run a screen for Wedge. Taldira fires on Wedge, who bobs and weaves, making it as hard as possible for the Twi'lek to get a lock. Tycho Selchu tries to shield Wedge from behind, while Corn Horn circles around the dogfight and comes flying toward it. Just as it looks like Wedge and Corn are going to plow into each other head-on, Wedge dives, Corn fires, and destroys his fellow rogue. Meanwhile, Tualan fires on the bridge of Mon Ramonda, blowing a hole in the ship. Han, Chewie, and the rest of the bridge crew race to exit through the blast doors while Tualan's A-Wing circles around for another pass. Just as Han and Captain Onama get clear, one of the race, Tyria Sarkin, arrives to stop Tualan. Tyria fires, 
destroying the A-wing just before Tuolan can get off another shot. In the aftermath of the attacks, all of the Twi'leks and Gotals in the New Republic military are taken off active duty. The assassination attempts have members of the Security Council spooked. Operation Minefield is working. Solo's task force soon starts the Millennium Falsehood Scheme, and the first target is the planet Kidrif-5. As the pilots prepare for the mission, Face Loran notices the holomail light blinking on the console in his room. The events of the past few days have been so chaotic, he never got a chance to check his mail. Face loads the hollow mail into his astromech. He'll have time to read it while the wraiths wait in their X-wings, hiding in orbit around Kidra 5's moon. Wedge and Chewie land the falsehood in the woods near Kidra 5's capital and wait for the planetary defenses to respond. In orbit, Face starts to read his mail. The last message is from New Republic Intelligence. Before the task force left Coruscant, a group of wraiths were approached in the Galactic Museum by an old man who claimed he knew Laura Notzel, but called her by a strange name. Before they left Coruscant, Face made an inquiry based on the name the old man called Laura. The message says the woman was an actress born 50 years ago on Coruscant. She married in her mid-twenties and had a child. Her husband's name was Dahls Petithel. Face opens up the file on Petithel, and his blood runs cold. Dahls Petithel, Imperial Intelligence. And the man's face, it's like staring directly into the face of Laura Notzel. The Imperials on Kidra 5 soon respond, sending two squadrons of Ties to chase the Falsehood off the planet. As they leave the atmosphere, the Rogues and Wraiths attack, defending the Falsehood. But Face orders Lara to be his wingman, and keeps the two out of the fighting. Wedge orders Face to explain what is happening, and Lara starts to become sick to her stomach. You know, don't you, Face? She says. I know you're Gara Petithel, Face answers, and orders her to return to Mon Ramonda to be placed under arrest. But just then, an anguished wail comes over the calm waves, and Mindonos pulls his X-Wing out of formation and speeds toward Face and Lara. Min, whose entire squadron was destroyed by Admiral Trigget based on intelligence compiled by Gara Petithel. Min races towards Lara, Face orders him to break off, but blinded by rage, Min fires a proton torpedo. Face screams at Min, blow it! Just before it hits, Min blows the torpedo short of Lara's fighter. Terrified, Lara turns away from Face and Min. Wedge orders her to return to Mon Ramonda, but she refuses, fearing for her life. Lara apologizes to the wraiths over the comm and jumps to hyperspace. Soon, Lara meets up with Zinja's task force and offers herself as an intelligence officer. The warlord questions why she didn't join when he offered months ago. She says she couldn't. When she met with Zinja's representative on Aldevi, her Wraith Squadron wingman attacked Zinja's officer, killing him. So, she couldn't just kill the Wraith and disappear. It would look too suspicious. Zinj laughs at Lara's answer and accepts her into his employ. 
Lieutenant Garapetathel, is reborn. Following the incident, Min offers Wedge his resignation from Starfighter Command. Wedge takes Min off active duty, but does not accept the resignation. You're not right in the head, Wedge says, and you haven't been since Talon Squadron was destroyed. Get some help, Min. Then I'll decide whether or not to bring you up on charges. On Iron Fist, Garapetathel briefs Zinj on the Millennium Falsehood scheme, but not entirely. Instead of telling the Warlord that it's fake, Gara briefs Zinj that Han Solo is actually meeting with New Republic cells in the Outer Rim, and she gives him an analysis of the next few worlds Solo is likely to visit. When she returns to her quarters, Garapetathel disappears, and Lara Notzel reemerges. She has a plan to sabotage the Iron Fist, and instructs her astromech droid to get to work. Meanwhile, the Millennium Falsehood plan continues. Wedge and Chewie land the ship on several Zinj-held worlds, followed by the New Republic fighter squadrons when the planetary defenses attack. It's costing Zinj millions in credits. Sooner or later, he's going to have to catch Solo. He turns to Garapetathel and asks where Solo is going next. It'll most likely be Comkin 5, she says, with a slightly less probability of Solo going to the Vahaba asteroid belt. Very good, Zinj says. Those are the places where we'll spring our trap. Gera is right, of course. The Millennium Falsehood arrives at Comkin 5 to perform its next feint, but the Iron Fist is waiting when it drops out of hyperspace. Just what Han Solo is hoping for. Wedge calms the Mon Ramonda, and Han orders the fleet to jump into the system. The New Republic ships start battering Iron Fist, but the Superstar Destroyer is formidable, and Zinj is a cautious man. Before Iron Fist can be maneuvered into the planet's gravity well, Zinj escapes, jumping to hyperspace. Han and Wedge are frustrated. They had him, and Zinj still wriggled off the hook. But all is not lost. During the battle, Lara Notzel was able to get a message to Squeaky, the race 3PO droid. It says to regroup and head to the Vahaba asteroid belt. There, they'll find Iron Fist, disabled. You see, Lara Notzel's astromech has been busy. It's been trapping mouse droids on Iron Fist and reprogramming them to listen to Lara. She has ordered the mouse droids to sabotage the ship's hyperdrive and shields. And now that she's contacted the wraiths, Lara springs her trap. The Iron Fist drops out of hyperspace early, without its escorts. Now, Zinj will be stuck without shields and without anywhere to go for at least six hours while repair crews try to fix what's wrong. It's a small window, but it's all Han and Wedge have. On board Iron Fist, Lara begins her escape. She and her astromech sneak through the lower decks of the Superstar Destroyer, heading to the small hangar bay where her X-Wing is being berthed. Along the way, they pass through a research ward. To her horror, Lara finds several alien species in cages and four scientists. It's Operation Minefield. She's found it. Lara pulls a blaster on the scientists and releases the captives, who to her astonishment, can all speak basic. 
She leads the small group to the hangar bay to find her X-Wing, and they find two small shuttles. One of the aliens, an Ewok, tells Lara that he can pilot one of the shuttles. The experiments Zinj put him through increased his intelligence tenfold, and he's had some rudimentary training in flight simulators. Quickly, Lara and the captives prep the two ships for launch. The New Republic Task Force arrives in the asteroid belt and attacks. Han orders Wedge to launch fighters, while Mon Ramonda and three other capital ships blast Iron Fist. It finally looks like Han will beat Zinj, but what Han doesn't know is that the Warlord has been working on a secret defensive weapon, a cloaking shield. Just as it looks like the end for Iron Fist, an immense void opens up, and the ship disappears. The New Republic capital ships can't find Iron Fist in the blackness, allowing the Superstar Destroyer, its hyperdrive now repaired, to escape. In the aftermath of the battle, Mon Ramonda locates a distress beacon from the shuttle filled with the former alien prisoners, but the woman and the X-Wing the former captives say launched with them is nowhere to be found. The story ends with Race Squadron being decommissioned by Starfighter Command and being transferred to New Republic Intelligence. Wedge and Wes Jansen will transfer back to Rogue Squadron, and the Wraiths are given the choice, transfer to other fighter squadrons, or stay together as an intelligence unit under Face's command. The Wraiths decide to stay together, all but Mindonos. Min asks to rescind his resignation request so he can transfer to another starfighter unit. Wedge tells Min he never filed the request, and Wedge would gladly accept the former Wraith into Rogue Squadron. Time for a break. When we return, I'll talk more about Solo Command and the entire Wraith Squadron arc. I'm Aaron Motes. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Thank you for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, where we talk about the books from Star Wars Legends. But allow me to recommend a book from Star Wars canon. Battlefront II Inferno Squad tells the story of Imperial Lieutenant Iden Versio. Tasked with finding and destroying what remains of Saul Guerrera's terrorist organization, Inferno Squad must infiltrate the Partisans before they're discovered and eliminated. It's a tale of action and espionage. That's Battlefront 2 Inferno Squad by Christy Golden. Welcome back to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes, and today I'm talking about X-Wing Solo Command by Aaron Alston, the final book in the Wraith Squadron arc. I would say of the three books in the Wraith Squadron arc that leads up to the defeat of Warlord Zinge, Solo Command is the one that I think I have the most issues with. And I think it's basically because Aaron Alston had to try to make this book run right up to the beginning of the events in The Courtship of Princess Leia. The book that was published in 1994, 
the Race Squadron books were published in 1998 and 1999. So Alston was trying to fit this arc, the hunt for Warlord Zinge, up to the point where the events of the courtship of Princess Leia take place. And of course, we know Warlord Zinge is in the courtship of Princess Leia. So I think Alston may have just been trying to do a little too much to make all the puzzle pieces fit. Book one of the series, Wraith Squadron, is about the formation of the unit. Book two in the series, Iron Fist, is about the Wraiths disguised as the Hawkbats, pursuing Zinge throughout the Outer Rim and disrupting his infrastructure. And now, this book, Solo Command, the only reason why I'm not as high on it as the previous two books is, like I said, I think Alston is trying to do too much. He has to get the wraiths out of the picture. They're not in the courtship of Princess Leia. He has to get Zinge away from Han Solo's task force that's been pursuing him all around the Outer Rim. He's got to get Han, at the very end of the book, back to Coruscant. And I think the way in which Alston does it just gets a little bit muddled. But there are plenty of things in this book that I really like. Alston's biggest strength, in my opinion, is how he writes characters. We spoke on the last episode. One of the best scenes, I think, in all of Legends is... Tan Fainan's death and how Face Loran reacts to Tan Fainan's death. Well, Solo Command might as well be called the Laura Notzel book. Laura's character throughout this book is pretty amazing. There are times where you swear her personality is splitting between Laura Notzel, Gara Petithel, and a third identity that she creates. Kearney slain. You feel so bad for her because she's decided to give up the life of an Imperial and become a member of the New Republic. Something that we know of that happened many times throughout the Rebellion. Wedge Antilles himself was a former Imperial. Han Solo was a former Imperial. The difference here is Garapetithel was a member of Imperial Intelligence. And rather than defect and go through the process of a New Republic investigation to see whether or not she would be someone that can be relied upon or someone that is too dangerous to allow into the military, she simply assumed another identity, Laura Notzel, and decided she was going to work to bring down the Empire. There is a distinction, and I understand it. Perhaps if Mendonos hadn't fired upon her and Face did place her under arrest, while I doubt she ever would have flown in Starfighter Command again, she possibly could have still worked for the New Republic military. However, if there's one thing that Gara Petithel slash Laura Notzel slash Kearney Slane is, is a survivor. 
She proves that throughout the entire Wraith Squadron arc. In the end, for me, she comes across as the most interesting character in the arc. Unfortunately, from what I remember in Legends, we never see her again. At least not in any of the books. Perhaps she does show up again in a comic. As I've said before, I don't usually read the comics. But Laura Notzel is gone at the end of Solo Command. One thing I was not high on in this book was the reaction to Mendonos's attack on Lara after Face outs her as Garapethethel. Once again, I'm allowing the fact that I'm a part of the U.S. military influence my opinion on this, but there is not another soldier alive that would ever trust Mendonos again after he fires on Laura Notzel, disobeying two direct orders by his superiors and then claiming temporary insanity that he was not in his right mind when he learned that Laura was Garapetathel. I know Wedge was correct in not accepting his resignation. Men would be brought up on charges if this was real. Now, I know what you're saying. Aaron, Star Wars, it's fiction. It's a space saga with space wizards carrying laser swords, a bunch of aliens fighting each other. I understand all that. I really do. But just think, if you're on a team and a member of that team attacks another member on your team, whether or not that other member is who they say they were, there is no way you would ever trust the person who attacked someone on your team ever again. I actually like Mendonos's character. As I said in the first episode that we talked about Race Squadron, I would have thought it had been really interesting to show men going through some professional counseling or something to show him adjusting to the horrors of battle. Of course, he never gets that. At least we're never shown that. So when Face calls Laura Garapetathel, men snaps. That part seems realistic enough for me. I think Alston writes that pretty well, and I actually think he's pretty brave to do that in Star Wars. But it's just the reaction of everyone to men afterwards that I don't get. He wouldn't be allowed to resign. He'd be brought up on charges. He would never be allowed to transfer to another starfighter unit. Rogue Squadron? Are you serious? Anyway, on to other things that I do like about the Wraiths. I'm glad at the end of the series they are transferred to New Republic Intelligence. That is what the squadron should have been all along. It was an experiment. The experiment was a success. 
Wedge wins his bet with Admiral Akbar, but you can tell all along this is not a starfighter unit. These are commandos. These are people that are mostly going to be used on the ground. They're not going to be up in the air flying. Now let's talk about cannon. Something that I haven't done much over the last few episodes, mainly because I wanted to wait until the end of the entire arc. Could the wraiths be made cannon? Sure. I doubt they will. But I think we will see aspects of the wraiths sooner than later. The Andor series starts in the fall. In my mind, that is exactly what Wraith Squadron is. Take them out of the Starfighters and make them intelligence operatives on the ground spying on the Empire. I don't believe any of the operatives in the Andor show will be called Wraith Squadron. Could you see some of the names in there? Sure. Do I think they will be? No. But going into the show, that is what I imagine Wraith Squadron to be. Now, if you want to actually bring the Wraiths into canon, that can also be done. We know that there was a lot of mopping up to do of the Imperial Remnant after the Battle of Endor and then the Battle of Jakku. And we see how much of an asset the Wraiths are in helping that mop-up effort. There's a good chunk of time, nearly 30 years, between the Battle of Jakku and when the First Order rises to power. During that 30-year time, it's not like the Empire was just gone. After the Battle of Jakku, we know of Operation Cinder, of the Emperor's plan to completely wipe out the Empire until a new quote-unquote imperial force could rise. But we also know that not every imperial was wiped out during Operation Cinder. I imagine it to be similar to the first couple decades following World War II. Germany had fallen, but while most of the German hierarchy was either captured or killed, it wasn't like they all were. Many of them fled, and for decades, the Allies and others were searching for them, whether it was in Europe or in South America. Some of them came to North America. To me, that's exactly what you would use Wraith Squadron for following members of the Imperial Remnant as they try to hide out throughout the galaxy. So, will they be in canon? Probably not. But I think you see aspects of it. But I think you'll see aspects of it in the Andor show and in some of the stories that we'll get following the Battle of Jakku, where they be in books, comics, a TV show, animated show, movie, whatever. We know we're getting a Rogue Squadron movie. And while we know it's not going to be the same as the Rogue Squadron books, there are reports that Patty Jenkins has at least had some conversations with Michael Stackpole. Of course, she couldn't 
talked to Aaron Alston. He passed away back in 2014. However, Stackpole and the Lucasfilm Story Group could also talk to Patty Jenkins about some of the characters or some of the plot points in the Race Squadron books. Anyway, time's getting short. Let's wrap up. If you have a question or comment for the show, send me an email at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send me a tweet at legendslounge1. I'd love to hear from you. And if you want to get your voice on the show, record your own three to five minute audio file and email it to swlegendslounge at gmail.com. Give me your opinions about a book, movie, show, whatever. I'd love to hear from you. Just please record it in MP3 or MP4 audio format. Now, if you remember from the beginning of the show, I said I had a little surprise for everyone. That's because if you follow the show schedule, the next episode will be about one of the most famous or infamous books in Legends. That's right. It's The Courtship of Princess Leia. One of the wackiest, silliest, most amazing stories in all of Star Wars. And I want to make it fun. So, please, everybody that's listening, lend your voice to the show. Record yourself talking about the story. What you liked, what you didn't. Is that dude really space, Fabio? I want to get as many voices on this show as possible. It's the Star Wars Legends Lounge Courtship of Princess Leia spectacular and it's coming up on may 13th make this show all about you once again thank you so much for listening to the star wars legends lounge i'm aaron motes may the force be with you and remember there's always a bit of truth in legends